millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. been a wildly interesting day i spent all day um fixing small motors for various items around the house musical uh, based items or just kind of household stuff just like all kinds of like gas engine stuff so like chainsaws and um gators wow. <laughs> generators what are you doing with a chainsaw Oh, my family has a um, a cottage uh, property up, up north of where we live, and uh, we do a lot of logging there because everything ah, is run okay. by wood stove. We we need a lot of firewood for that, so we, I see. it gets to the Very point where you're like buying quarts and quarts of wood, like the commercial way, and then you just decide, screw this, man! I'm gonna get a uh, chainsaw and learn <laughs> learn the skill. More fun that way. Yeah, you got the tr- when you got the trees. It's the chainsaw is the only thing in the way. From unlimited yeah, firewood. <laughs> is that a pretty remote kind of cottage? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it, like, it's my favorite place in the world because of how remote it is. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's on a lake and there's no one else on the lake. So it's like a, wow. like a weird private provincial park at night. And it's almost like you're, you're in a park that's closed or something. It's really trippy. How often do you go up there? Well, we used, we grew up going there like every every weekend and sometimes during the summer we'd go like for three, four weeks at a time and just eat out of a cooler kind of thing and just enjoy our time up there and do all kinds of stuff. And then uh, as the band started to take off, we kind of started slowly touring more, chilling less. And so we spent a much time away from the lake. But recently I've been going back up there and just absolutely getting mind blown by the experience and being like, I, I got to be doing this all the time. How am I not doing this all the time? And do you, are you just heading up there on your own or with your family? Uh, mostly with our family. So we'll go like with our, our parents and uh, sometimes we'll go alone. Uh, just depends on the trip. It's kind of cool. It's like a little communal area. Everyone's kind of everyone's kind of welcome within the family. I forget because you're all brothers in Zeg, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot that. <laughs> would you uh, would you write and stuff up at that that wee cottage? Oh man, I've been desperately planning my studio retreat, like little off grid recording setup that we'll do for recording up there and and. We not only want to write there, we want to full out record and like incorporate the the sound of um, the surrounding ecosystem into our music because it changes throughout the day. Like the daytime has a certain sound there, and then nighttime has a different sound. And so it would be so cool to to incorporate that into into some sort of recording and probably get some pretty cool drum sounds out there. So. I'm going to build a mobile recording setup and, and try to get it up there to record. Just so you can kind of maximize the full potential of that experience. Yeah, yeah. Like I really come, I've come to 
really appreciate like um raw performance over a high quality recording because so rarely you'll you'll have a really high quality clean recording of something that is like a, a raw and off the cuff just because you know the mentality the mentality is not there when you're spending so much money to be in a studio when you're in a raw environment like that and you have your own recording setup i think that you capture so, stuff with a lot more like natural charisma and that's what that's why i'm excited about it because like i don't need the the nice rehearsed take we, we want to just capture the initial idea and then work around that and then build off of that and then and that's how like songs tend to come out feeling like much more natural is that an ethos you've kind of carried into the way that you've built your recording studio in the band space and the way that's set up yeah yeah definitely yeah the like the idea behind the setup now is it's like have everything set up so that it's all mic'd and ready to record and that's kind of been a, a bit of a headache because it's like if you really really want that you need to have multiple channels available at all times and you need to have multiple mics and xlrs and like in, it's a pretty sophisticated rig but uh i've managed to narrow it down to something that's that can that's got like it packs a lot of punch but it's not an overly big amount of gear but yeah it's that's definitely been the idea behind having the studio at home is like if it's at home then we don't we can actually work in an in a frame of mind that's like okay we're not spending a bunch of money to be here this isn't expensive therefore no one's forcing us to perform and then we get to practice making music like taking that weight off your shoulders yeah yeah and then you, all of a sudden it's like you're not making music the music's making itself you know because you're you're no longer forcing anything you kind of you just have all the tools are all here so when the time comes where you feel the need to put something down and work on it you have the tools to do it and and it's that's a completely different frame of mind than oh we've got all our songs together and we're paying 650 dollars a day to be in a room and we need to make most like we need to make the best use out of that time and like what happens if you're like a band is like you end up throwing the mics on the guitar amp getting a good tone and then leaving it there for the whole session same thing with the drums you don't move anything and you kind of just don't you just rush through everything to uh maximize the the return on your investment so i'd much rather have the investment be in a shitty recording like quote shitty recording setup than access to a, a high quality studio setup for a fixed amount of time but never be able to go back in there again you know like it's much more uh it's it feels much more like the music grows with the artist in in this way so it's been it's been really interesting i guess as well if you're in quite uh like what you said there you know you're going into a high quality environment that you're unfamiliar with you're probably more likely to play it safe in some respects because because like you see you're wanting to maximize your time it's okay let's just mic this up like we usually would let's not take any risks let's just put all the the boundaries in so that we feel comfortable and you don't get as wide a space to explore creatively maybe yeah 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 and there's also like an, an observation effect i've observed that's like like you know like really really good tr tracking engineers will make themselves unnoticed in a room and um even at that it's like there's something different about performing and being alone in your performance because it's just so much so much more uh meaningful it's like because you know, the thing is like you have a, a musical moment and then in the moment it's fantastic and then as as it expires you kind of just like turn around to look at it again and oftentimes i feel my experience has been kind of just looking back and cringing a little bit at how how much it meant to me and so yeah i think that you need to get in that space where you're doing things that you would be cringing if you had like an analytical frame of mind and to get to that place i find it really helps to be alone and to to not even have to consider the possibility that somebody else is listening to you try to do something and then all of a sudden it's like you can try all sorts of random things and you just needed one of those things to be successful for and you can make a whole song 
revolve around one little thing like that. So it's not that hard to make something that's like feels unique and that is still true to you as an individual artist. And like, it doesn't get any truer than that. Like there was no one else in the room to take credit for influencing anything. Like it's literally just one person. When there is no one else in the room though, do you become more inventive and finding ways to influence yourself? Probably. I would, I would assume so. I mean, yeah, I guess so. And like, it's hard to say, but, um, in my experience, I, I definitely have, I've noticed that, um, a lot changes fast when you spend time creating by yourself. And it's kind of like, I've started feeling a lot, a little confused about like what genre of music I'm even creating music in just because of that, that strange, like shifting of interest constantly because of experimentation. Yeah. I've noticed, I've noticed for me it works. And then like, I have a really good relationship with my brother Quinn, who's um, the drummer in uh, our band who him is like, we have a very interesting dynamic. That's like, we can kind of experience that same frame of mind, but together in the studio. And those are really special moments. Like, and it, it really depends on us both being in the right frame of mind and uh, like not having too much else picking at our minds. And then, you know, we happen to line up together in the studio and it's like, Oh, you want to do something? Yeah. Let's work on that idea. And then all of a sudden two days go by and we have a song put together and it's like, wow, the, it really just did itself. How does your headspace when you're producing Zig differ to, or compare to rather, when you're producing other bands? That's a big difference I've noticed. In fact, like, I think that working in Zig is like the production work that I'll do for other band is one slice of what I would do for Zig mentality. It really is less of a scatterbrained process when I'm working on other people's music because I can actually focus on just producing like um like working with Cleo for example is a is a great experience for me because I've never been in a studio and haven't uh reformed uh, before that one so like it was just a process of listening to takes and just telling the guys when it was that I felt a moment when it was that like you know something gave me the shivers and that's like that's an easy part of making music you know if you really know how to listen to your body and you know as a producer i felt like that was the only thing i needed to do and so that was relieving because you know it's hard to make somebody feel confident that you're going to produce their album in a quality fashion if your process is like this crazy experimentation process that that doesn't have enough rules to be structured so it's like how could you count on that to to create an output for your project but when you focus on just one aspect of that it, it becomes much easier and then I, and then i realized that oh yeah like if i'm producing another artist the artist is doing like 95 percent of that of the pie chart that that i experienced making zig mentality stuff so really it's just about kind of just being in the room and and just giving your opinion on uh how it is that what you're hearing is making you feel so they're completely different mentalities it's like kind of like they both have their pros you know and cons but I've been really enjoying both worlds like a lot lately and I've been also really enjoying the process of 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 training myself to jump in each of those camps and it's like which what are the things that I can bring from my crazy process into production with other artists that won't completely throw them off and then what are some structured ways of working that I can take from working with artists that I can bring into Zig to uh, maybe create a, a more stable process but who knows who knows <laughs> i mean that idea that you mentioned there about when you're working with another artist you know in regards to listening to your body and what it's telling you and what you're getting from the feeling of the songs so that you can pick out that take that has a spark about it do you do things out of music to nurture that how do you train that that intuition to be able to hear what your body is telling you mm, yeah well I, I think it's got like few to do with music like that's a lot more something to do with like just just spending time 
listening to nothing and kind of just soaking in your thoughts and then i find moving to a place where there is few to no thought happening is is one way to really help you learn to listen to your body so i'm i'm pretty big on um breath work like to practice breath work uh with some of my friends and family it that's that's one thing that's like you know breath work and meditation and yoga like it's it once you jump into it and you're really deep into it and you're practicing it regularly then it just starts to become addicting to like take care of your body in that sense and through that i've come to just naturally appreciate music more and um eat healthier so when i'm appreciating music i can kind of relate that to how my newfound knowledge for paying attention to my body and how i feel and you know separating my thinking process from my feeling process so that i can be a lot more controlled about it and and reserved and so is being so aware of what you're feeling is that something you only utilize when you're making music or can that translate into other aspects of your life too it must it must i mean yeah. it's it's hard to say because when it works you don't notice it and uh I find like yeah like I like when I when I'm doing like I'll do a lot of manual labor uh for like part-time work and and I notice that sometimes I'll be doing a job and it'll be pretty demanding on my body and then I'm I like I just like I I enjoy the activity of like learning to perceive the entire situation differently in order for it to be less uncomfortable and oftentimes it works you know it really does so it's like a it's kind of like a a fun activity that you can do with really anything that you're looking at and it feels honestly like in in my experience from like just manipulating audio stems and whatnot it feels a lot like like um just balancing your perception the way that some a mixing engineer would balance tracks in a mix you know and every once in a while you can see something really beautiful just by balancing your perspective internally and it's like a game it's interesting you touched upon mixing there because i wanted to ask about that because i think was it the last ep that you did with zig you had it mixed by hip-hop producers yeah mastered by hip-hop producers we had it mixed by um well yeah yeah and a guy who his name is uh jonathan wayne and he's a uh he's got a, a couple of really great uh r- hip-hop records that i I've come to love and I remember when we were looking for mixing engineers for our record we um we kind of just started looking at okay who are the guys who mix some of the records that we loved and this guy's record was one of the records that we looked up and you know we found out through looking that up that you know he had he had like a really prominent mixing engineer from LA mix his record but we also found out that John himself was now getting into the world of mixing. And so like that was like a huge coincidence cuz I so I reached out to him I'm like dude like I love the way that your music sounds and I know like it wasn't you who mixed all of it but I know that if you have if you have the ability to, you know, create music that can sound like that, I'm sure you have the ability to you know to like your your mind is going to be plenty for taking on a different angle on mixing rock. And so because he was just at the beginning of his of of offering his mixing services, we were able to link up and and uh he took on our project and man we had so much fun mixing it because um we really just like had him you know use whatever whatever balancing tools that that um a guy like him might have to apply to rock and it was his first time mixing rock so there were no there were no biases and so we got like this really unique sound after spending a bunch of time and he was a super generous guy and he gave us as many revisions as we could possibly ask for and he was like extremely extremely determined to see that the project be something that we really love and so he um he he gave us his his time and not just the time that we paid for 
and so we had a really fucking great time mixing that record and it sounded huge and now it's like kind of like pushed me into the realization of like like well i'm mixing my because i started mixing our stuff lately and i'm like man like i've learned so much from a guy who didn't have any of these preconceived rock mixing techniques and it feels like it's easy to differentiate between the our tones and just other rock bands tones and it's been taking us in a very interesting direction because now i feel the need to produce music that has elements that would better complement a hip-hop mix rather than a rock mix it's been a really interesting dynamic how did that experience and what you learned from that process impact the way you went about i and i and the construction of that song and the way that you handled that yeah yeah i mean like that's a that's a perfect example of like a production where um it's like we're using the instruments that a rock band would have access to but we're 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 producing the way that um hip-hop producers would produce i can't tell you how much of that was just knowledge that i picked up from just working with john on the mixes um throughout the Clio record as well, because he also mixed their album. There's a there's a big bass moment in 2008 on their record that John really killed. And I remember talking to him and he had mentioned that one thing he felt was important about making sounds feel good was that they were put in some sort of natural environment. That just really inspired us to just really go for a much more ambient dirty natural sound all across the board including our 808s like in our bases and so that was extremely interlinked with my experience working with john on on the early zig stuff as well as the the cleopatric stuff what, why is making it feel like it's in a natural environment important what does that give to it I think that nowadays it has a, a special effect, which is it, it that creates a lot of contrast from what people today are used to hearing commonly. Because I think that the process of making an album for a lot of artists is recording your performance and then cleaning it up, cleaning, getting everything that shouldn't be there out, and that's just naturally been something that's worked in in pop for a while now so there's an oversaturation of that sound and i think that when you offer somebody the opposite of that they notice it um and they resonate with it and it's also it's also something that you know i feel like there's a certain part of your brain that recognizes when something feels played by human versus not played by a human and i think that by making things feel more natural you're accomplishing the effect of tricking somebody into thinking that it's a human that's performing what what it is that they're hearing that that's the name of the game for me is about because i think i think like when people recognize that this is a human they they just the empathy kind of kicks in much stronger and people are able to have a bodily experience with the music and then that's how you you know that's and that's how i would know that i like something and that's just really my taste a lot of people really enjoy highly quantitized stuff because it's it's in vogue but yeah i think i'm I'm working in a niche and and that niche is a niche that really appreciates contrast yeah i it, it kind of ties into what we or what's been spoken about the the cleopatra album too in regards to at the heart of that was authenticity authenticity and honesty and yeah exactly i mean it's an environment that feels evocative of that too from a producer's point of view when you're going in with them and you're working on that record how do you go about cultivating an environment in which like those, for instance, both that making it sound human and making it sound natural, but also what we talked about earlier on, you know, those little moments that occur when you're looking for that take. How do you go about culting an environment where all of that can kind of occur together? Yeah, that's, that is the name of the game. And I think that, you know, that's going to vary from artist to artist heavily. It's about making it so that my job 
is to do the least amount as possible. And there are many ways to do that, but I think vaguely and generally speaking, the mission would be to empower the artist to to get to that space where they're confident to experiment with their ideas, you know. And, you know, so it's like if I had it my way, I'm working with an artist, I want to be somewhere where they're not worrying about spending too much time working a part out. And then that might just give us the opportunity for me to just sit back and let them explore. They might not want to explore. And so in that case, it's like, you know, you step in and you, and you push some pro progress along. Sometimes artists need to be guided, but best case scenario is an, an artist has a rough idea as to what they want to do. They start doing it. And then I, as a producer, just start, you know, throwing little toys in front of them for them to use to make their ideas happen. And they do the rest themselves because at the end of that, the artist will sit down and they'll listen to everything and there will be a reason for each aspect of the song and the reason will come from their own mind making it a product of the artist and not a product of the producer and that's where the authentic part kicks in you know that's where i feel like that's the music that i would gravitate to more naturally is music that's more authentic and i'm from what i know about the artists that i really really love um a lot of them they they practice similar ways of making music and you know a lot of them are are mainly involved in the the engineering and the production of their music so i gravitate heavily towards that and i feel like it might be that authenticity as a result of the artist really taking ownership of their project and being involved in a way that they are confident and they're not you know being guided through a process by somebody who's giving them confidence which is a producer you mentioned at the start of that and kind of throughout this idea of allowing the artist to feel empowered. When you're creating your own music, where do you feel most empowered throughout the process? I feel the most empowered uh, through uh, once everything, once all the pieces of the song is recorded, we'll do a process that we call post-production, which is we'll just kind of take all of our tracks and We'll break them down to the bare minimals of what we need and then we'll take important parts of the song and we'll run them through toys that we have lying around. So it might just be like a little amp that we found at the thrift store that costed $5 and has like a cool distortion when you drive it too hard or just like some pedals from our pedal boards from or just like sending it out of a speaker in a, in a room and recording it and... So we reamp a bunch of stuff and then that's our way of like taking our dry stems and really live, like giving them life and putting them in an, a natural environment and humanizing them. And, and then that all comes back together to get mixed. And that's, you know, throughout that, the process of the post-production throughout into the mixing, like once all the pieces are there, it's, I, 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 there's nothing to try for me from my from my perspective everything is just like okay just do that 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 it's so natural it's like the desire to do it and what to do happens before i get to think about it and so i really get to let go of of my my mind and just let my body kind of work and just experience the experience of hearing the song come together and, and then you know you get you get washed by a, a by like a wave of pilo erection you feel all your hair kind of go up and then you go okay wow that's so cool you listen to it again and you listen to it again and then you start to numb in yourself and you no longer feel the same pilo erection when the thing happens and so you work towards building the song more and mixing it so that you feel that again and you keep chasing that and you keep running that process until you keep listening to your body you use your body as like a determining a measurement tool for how good the product is and then once it's all together it's a pretty great feeling but i get pretty exhausted by the end of it so i really like that moment in between all that where it's everything's just happening and i'm not thinking can that idea of you know, building it up and chasing that high 
can that ever be difficult to stop doing that? And how do you know when to put a cap on a song and, and tie that one up? Yeah, that can be really difficult. Like mostly it's the the issue of fatigue that we run into, which is just listening and listening and just getting tired and losing perspective. But we have like a really, we have a really great um, environment in our house with our family and we have friends over all the time and like I just I'm feel super blessed to be around so many open-minded people that we get to hear a lot of people's opinions on what we're working on as we're working on it and you know once I feel really good about it and I'm playing it for people and they're giving me comments about it that are outside of how it sounds technically that's where I start to start to see the finishing line. And I'm like, okay, so I can use other people's bodies as gauges for when the product should be finalized. Do you ever get self-conscious, you know, letting people in and showing them work when you're in the midst of still developing it? Yeah, it will, it will, it will depend on the, the person. But that's what I mean. Like, that's why I'm so grateful to be around so many open people uh, because I've learned that there's no real need to be self-conscious around these people so those good relationships are really nice for bouncing ideas off of and not worrying about judgment um because you know everyone understands you know everyone here is, has the experience of creating and they know what it's like and they know what uh, experimenting is and so but you do you do feel it when you're playing it for somebody who who might not appreciate all that you know who might be looking for you know someone like a lot of times you'll play something for somebody and they'll kind of like expect the final product and you'll just want to see what they think of the in prog version of it but then you realize that really that doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's in prog all that matters is what's coming out of the speakers <laughs> and if the reaction isn't right then you know you know it's easy it's easy cues as to what you should be working on and, and that's continuing to finalize the project and and make it get to the point where it will make people feel something so you're working on an idea and you bring someone in to listen to it at one stage and then you work on it further can you bring that same person in again or does it have to be someone with a fresh perspective every time for that experience to be you know truly fulfilling for you on, on a creative mm. point of view yeah well i mean i i, I don't see m much value in replaying something for someone because well, depending on how, how much has changed, but in, I find in off, often, you know, you, the first listen is the one where you're going to get the honest reaction, the the pure-minded reaction. When somebody's listening a second time around, you know, they're going to not say all of the things that they said last time, for example, and they'll they'll look for other things to say about it. And, you know, you'll you'll rely more on body language than... Than, um, than their actual statements. But I find, I, I really enjoy the idea of like, oh, okay, you got, you got one play for this person, you know, make it count, you know, make it like, don't send it to them unless you feel like, you feel like they might think it's finished. And if you know that they're going to be like, oh, that's going to sound cool once you, once you finish the mix up, then don't send it to them because you can get a much more valuable first reaction. It's kind of a parallel of trying to entice new uh, listeners towards your band too. Because I mean, if someone comes upon your your song on a streaming service, it's the same thing. You kind of have that one chance to to hook them in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very similar. Do you ever think about that when you're in the the recording process and how it's going to function on that level at all? Yeah, I. The only thing, the thing is, I've noticed that like if the more I do that, the more I tend to miss because it's, uh, that's where like it, when you want to accomplish something that would operate like that, that would hook people in like m most people, most music listeners in, you start like subconsciously subscribing to rules for making music. Then if I've noticed myself feeling so locked up in a box on that, on that point, like once I have like a certain set of rules, I'm like, it's so hard for me to to try to do something completely different with this song and because that's what it is to me something interesting is going to be something completely different but i keep forgetting that 
that's not what most people are going to be naturally attracted to because most people like listening to things that they like um, rather than learning about things that they might like because that's a risk and you're only, you're only listening for so much time, right? So I, I do think about that and I'll think about it more in the sense of like, okay, how do I want my song to start, you know? Like I won't make a, an intro to an instrumental intro too long um, because I won't because I don't want people to you know feel the need to skip it. Um, but I, I, it's not it's not major enough to impede on my entire process and to implement rules that I'm going to feel the need to follow. Yeah, it's about finding a balance. Like it can be a nice uh, a nice measurement to stop you becoming self indulgent, but at the same time you need to handle it so that it doesn't completely cap off your creativity. Right. This kind of ethos that you have towards music is something that is kind of driven towards breaking rules. Would that be a fair assessment in terms of conventions that have been laid down in place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like, to me, it's not about breaking rules that are explicit. It's more about, you know, establishing a new, um, a new perspective, um, which is just the perspective that, you know, I grew up with about music. And it's kind of like I would listen to the stuff that I would listen to and I would like go, Oh, I wish it, I wish like it was a bit more like this or I wish it was a bit more like that. And you know, when you grow up listening to rock and appreciating rock at a young age, and then you discover hip hop, you kind of start looking back on a lot of the rock bands going like, Oh, I wish it had like this aspect of this hip hop. And I wish I had this aspect of this. So it's like, it's not like those are, there are rules that say you can't like rock doesn't have these aspects. It's kind of just like, it's possible that nobody's put them together the way that that I imagine it being put together, and so every opportunity that I have to make music, I have an opportunity to kind of like make those subconscious links of of all the stuff that I love together, and and to kind of like make something new because you know something new is what's going to make me have a reaction. Something new is, is what's going to make my body resonate with the music. And so if I try to imitate things that, you know, are popularly consumed, I find it very difficult to, to get that reaction from my body. Does rock feel like a genre that is ripe for innovation at this moment in time? Yeah, yeah I'd say so. And, you know, people are always doing it. Um, I think the question is like when people talk about rock needing to be innovated and it being dead and all that, I think they they're really limiting their their conception of rock to the mainstream sphere of rock. And so, if we were to have a conversation about innovating rock, the one the one that most people would care about is innovating mainstream rock. And if there are certain rules to mainstream music, like realistically speaking, like there are certain things that if you don't, if your song doesn't have, you're not going to be on certain playlists that are accessible to the mainstream. So I think that's where, that's where people's beef is. I don't think, I don't think people are concerned that there aren't enough rock bands out there experimenting, pushing boundaries in all sorts of directions. Like there's like, a hundred subgenres in metal alone. I don't think that that's a problem. I think that it's more about like, okay, who are the who are representing the genre? Who are the bands who are representing the genre of rock on the mainstream platforms? And who is that? And so, right now, I think like you got two options. You know, there's like a there's like a classic rock, like an homage to what rock used to be, which people. I, like I noticed a lot of people resonating, particularly in in hot, in older demographics, and then there's like a younger, more like electronic kind of rock that's that stems from like uh, like the the White Stripes era. All these bands coming out of out of uh, being influenced by those guys. It's like there's that whole sound, and so I think that people just aren't necessarily satisfied with those two versions and so there's and there's plenty of space for other versions that that can can like you know make the that more um modern rock 
fan like so somebody mainly it's like people like me and when i say like me it's like people who have a an affinity for rock and for hip-hop and modern like high quality um big bass projects stuff like that so if 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 we can make it happen for those people, then I think that it will be like uh, there's enough for everyone, and then they won't have to settle for bands that are close to that, but not quite, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it comes back to to what we're touching upon earlier. You know, we spoke about how you had the last uh, some of the last songs mastered by a hip hop producer. It's yeah. the the influence of rock has almost become amalgamated into that genre to a certain extent as well. Like if you look at a lot of the SoundCloud rap and stuff that's coming out. It's all very kind of heavily rock influenced, particularly like in the guitars and stuff that feature in that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, th- I, I think that that's one thing I really admire about a lot of uh, authentic hip hop artists is they aren't afraid to incorporate those things and they aren't afraid to marry those two cultures. You know, like you saw Post Malone do it like pretty aggressively. Like he once he was successful in the world of hip hop, he did a lot to kind of equally bring in his his passion for rock with with that, you know. And that's a good example of like, hey, like if an artist like Post Malone is as big as he is and, you know, he's big because of his hip hop and that's that's an indicator that like hey look like like hip hop is just naturally more appealing to more people so if you're looking to make popular music it's a good place to to start like for like if you if you have interest in hip hop like a lot there might be more people out there who would be interested in whatever kind of rock music you would like to make as long as you're open minded enough to let different tricks and let different techniques from other genres spill into your production process and you don't really get that when you know you you're a band and you want to record so you contact the you contact a a producer or you just contact a studio and you go in and the and the engineer just gives you they just mic contact up your the kid. guy yeah exactly and then you, all of a sudden you you have these guys who are like okay cool another rock project load up the rock presets you know just got to make it sound like this send it off to this to our sound in, to our mixing engineer guy who does all our rock stuff he's gonna do his thing it's gonna sound exactly like that big successful drum sound that we that we do on every record that sounds great and then uh you know collect uh, collect our payment here and then we'll be good to go which uh and and it's like a lot of bands are doing that simply because it's the more economical choice you know it's like a one-time payment thing and you don't have to get involved in a growing relationship with somebody who's going to empower you to get your own recording set up and to start small and to grow and to learn the skills so that you can be as equally involved in the production and the mixing and the mastering and, and the finalizing of your project as you are performing it. Where does it feel like to you that the industry kind of sits on this at the moment? Is it something that's very much gunning for it to keep pushing forward or is it content in the same way to kind of just channel that older sound and stick with what they know? Like the industry-minded people who work on rock will do everything that they can to do what already works and i think that that makes sense like that's what they should be doing you know they're involved in like labels and and many sensors are involved in in farming new uh artists that will make money and within the particular niche of the genre that the label is in so it makes sense for it to work like that because i think realistically you can't expect all artists to be that determined and creative like it takes a special kind of of um dedication to to chase either to chase the process that heavily some people just want to like you know play in a band and like it be it it be that i'm not i don't need to dedicate my life to learning how to how to make my craft presentable and to have the most amount of control that i can over presenting that I've noticed that when you step outside of that world in the world of artists who are like saying, pushing this message, that's like anti-label and anti-industry. I think, uh, I think you would even find a lot of artists who don't have the, the motivation. So there is a, there is a, there's a good use for, for labels and, and there's a good use for 
that that perspective which is there's something that works here and it's good let's just keep pumping that out but i think the target and the goal for any artist should be to to be able to innovate and to do something outside of that and so and i don't think that i don't think that every artist will succeed to do that if they tried but i think more artists would succeed in doing that if it was more of a common thing if it was more of a if it was more natural and it, I think it's coming with like we've seen even with the with the COVID lockdowns everyone's kind of just started turning towards oh okay like a lot of my musician friends are like oh I guess I'll just like start investing and in being able to record myself and you're starting to see a more online you know world develop and people are starting to starting to apply like more of a of a do-it-yourself mentality in general so i think that out of that will come this this really wicked bedroom producer movement and eventually it'll be like somewhat of a norm for artists to be working in their own setups and to be heavily involved in in the technical aspect of it yeah it democratizes it more so too right yeah, yeah. and like you even see it in like uh companies that sell pro audio equipment a lot of them have shifted towards making smaller units that would that are being marketed directly to people who are bedroom producers because you can make a product that that's like really high quality for like a like a like an eight channel preamp rack like but if only studios are going to buy it when you could be making a one or two channel rack that multiple bedroom producers might be buying then it makes more sense to 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 make it for that bigger market so it's definitely obvious that the that this is a huge market and studios are having a tough time booking people a lot of studios are closing down and and so and that's and that's a reaction to all of this and the one thing that i think really hurts in all of that is that people are rushing too fast and in, in uh, abandoning the art of acoustic drums and the art of uh, recording acoustic drums and a lot of people are turning to program drums which you know the software works really well but it's so hard to humanize program drums and to make them feel organic so um that's one thing that i've, I've really latched myself on to is that's why i have so many that's why my rig feels so big and i need so many channels on on deck so that i can have that record anytime vibe just it's always set up and i can have many microphones and still be able to capture an acoustic kit like that we were touching upon, you know, the idea of innovation a few moments back to say you have a song that you're working on and you're experimenting and you're trying to innovate, but it doesn't quite pan out successfully. How fulfilling does that remain for you, even if it doesn't work, but you're still putting forth the effort to innovate in the process? Mm. Yeah, well, you definitely learn a lot that you wouldn't do later or might do differently later. And so that's the great thing about having infinite access to a place to experiment is that when something fails you you get to confidently write it off as an experiment and you're not writing it off as an experiment that costed you a lot of money and because that can hurt and that can make failure feel like it you want to avoid it i think that anytime something doesn't work out it it doesn't work out for the best and we've noticed oftentimes that like as we don't put in we don't put a lot of energy into something if we're not confident that it's going to lead to something good and so sometimes when we're at the point where like we can't push something forward we we the starting point is something that we did like but we just can't get it to a place that's like oh okay this makes sense to to finalize then we'll just like kind of sideline it and just put it away and then i find that just doing that getting perspective and you just think about that good part that you had and you kind of let it float around your head for a couple of weeks sometimes months whatever it is but you know so you might wake up one day and feel the need to reopen it because all of a sudden you woke up and it was stuck in your head and you came up with this great second part and then you go you do the second part and then all of a sudden the blockage is gone and then you just finalize the song and it's done there's always a good piece in there so we're not like we're not it's it's interesting because we're not just throwing stuff to the wall and seeing what sticks like we are still filtering stuff as it comes out so we can be confident that you know if we if we invested the time in throwing up mics and recording something then it it was good enough in our head at one point for us to be like we should record that and and so that 
we can be confident that it will be good in the long run if we don't end up finishing it now. I mean, you mentioned earlier on too about the idea of trying to innovate in the direction of humanizing programmed drums. Are you more successful at innovating when you have a purpose like that in mind that you're working toward? Yeah, yeah, because because sometimes what will happen is I'll have like theoretically an i uh, an idea something, so I'll innovate theoretically, and then it will be a, a fun process of trying to accomplish what I thought up in a technical in a technical realm, so that I, it could actually come out of the speakers the way that I'm imagining it, and yeah, that is a that is an interesting experience. I find that like. It's a bit, uh, <laughs> it's a bit narcissistic because it's like, oh yeah, look at how incredible I am accomplishing this. I managed to decode this and I solved it <laughs> and I figured it out myself, <laughs> which is great. But um, I find that once all that is said and done, I, I'm often feeling very uh, grateful for the capability, which is something that we constantly repeat to ourselves around here. It's like, man. I'm, am I ever grateful to have the capability so that I can, so that I could do that, so I can sit down and do that, and I don't need to contact somebody and ask them to help me to figure it out, and then them apply, you know, their best way of doing it to the to to figure it out, and then not know how to solve it myself because someone else did it. Yeah, I guess it comes back to what we said about authenticity, and that it's far easier to be truly authentic if you're fully in control and it, and it does mean that you're going to lose some of what people call quality because it's not going to be made by somebody who was getting paid and was preoccupied with cleaning things up so that there wouldn't be a little thing left over that somebody would be like oh that doesn't sound good why am i paying you so much for you to do such a terrible job so the product ends up being more authentic and it sounds what how most people would describe as lower quality but you know it's really the long road that matters because in 20 years time when people are looking back and it's like oh all of this sounds similar and this sounds different better might be completely different Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 